Welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And uh, today's episode, it's a, a bit of a first for us because uh, this is the first time we've had a guest with no uh, immediate obvious links uh, to comedy. She is, however, the uh, guru of self-publishing, uh, undisputed queen of do-it-yourself creativity, and we're delighted to welcome Joanna Penn. Hi, Joanna. Oh, hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's it's great to have you. We've actually we picked a perfect time to have you because Joanna, uh, as well as being the great sort of self-publishing guru, is is a, a, a podcaster who you've been you've been uh, doing this for many years. And in fact, you I just listened to episode five hundred of your podcast. Oh, whoa! Yeah, round of applause yeah. for five hundred. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, it's it's so funny because you know you start doing these things. I imagine you guys with comedy, it's it's very similar. You start doing something because you you feel like you you want to express yourself or you want to achieve something and then 12 years later you look up and and you go wow okay I've achieved quite a lot and and all it is it's funny a lot of people have asked me lately even you know with the writing with the books and everything is how do you get to this point and it's like well it's been over a decade and I have just consistently produced for Mm -hmm. for the years and I think it's probably the same in a comedy career it's it's the same with whatever you want to achieve it literally is just step by step day by day and keep creating I should have yeah I should have have mentioned as well in the intro uh when i say that uh, you are the, the guru of self-publishing that uh, how, how many books have you now published in that uh, 12-year period uh, i've got over 30 books now i write uh non-fiction that's, as joanna penn that's three and 30 30 books yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and i write uh, fiction as jf penn so joe francis penn and basically i mean i i write thrillers and dark fantasy i've got that kind of darker side of me in my fiction and then i write self-help for for authors as joanna penn and it, it's always good to have a couple of brands i think because you can do different things okay yeah. so you like the it's like the ian m banks ian banks one is science fiction and the other one isn't. Isn't that right? Yeah. Ian Bank? I, yeah. I don't read either. I don't read either Ian Banks, even though he's the same person. <laughs> um, uh, I would. Um, so, so let's go back to uh, episode one of the uh, Joanna Penn uh, podcast. Uh, that the, the person uh, that you were at that point. So what? What? Uh, how did you? How did you get to um, the, the the situation you're in now? Well, in terms of uh, in terms of the writing, so at that point I was living in Australia. So sort of 2006 to 2008, I was miserable in my day job. I, I used to implement accounts payable into large corporates, which is just not the most okay. creative life. <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't have a creative outlet, so I decided I was going to write. Uh, I was going to write um, a self help book on career change. That was my first book. And when I I wrote that, and then I looked at the publishing industry, and, and remember this was before the Kindle. This was before um, the iPhone, actually, sort of 2006. Um, And I looked at the publishing industry and I saw how long it was going to take me to get my book into the world. And I've always been a bit of a self-starter, always had a bit of a rebellious independent streak. And then I I started getting into the speaker scene and a lot of speakers obviously use a lot of comedy. Um, But I saw that the speakers were doing this uh, self-publishing thing and they were printing their books and they were selling them at the back of the room and they were doing their live events. And I thought, well, I could do that. Uh, you know, I could put my book out, I could get speaking gigs and I'll sell my book 
that way. And um, so that's what I ended up doing. I self-published that first book and I got on national TV. I got, um, you know, national newspapers and this. Uh, and then I realized that you can't sell many books that way, that actually what I needed to do, this was then the Kindle came out, the, um, you know, then iBooks and all these different online platforms. And I discovered that you could sell books to the whole world. And this was very exciting for me. So that sort of began how I could distribute my work. And then podcasting was very much, well, how do you reach the world? Um, obviously the internet and podcasting seemed a really good way to try and reach the rest of the world. And also I got to talk to people along the way. And I, I imagine that's why you guys do it too. But basically everything came together in terms of the technology to allow me to publish and also market on the internet and that's how I started selling mainly in America back in back in the day and now I've sold books in 143 countries and my podcast wow. goes out to over uh, 220 countries have downloaded my show so it's really a case of discovering that the whole world is your market it's not just the people in your town yeah and um I, i've just been listening to the uh, your episode 500 and uh, quite honestly it could easily have been uh, an episode that that um we've we've made some of the, the, the your main topics um the first thing that you were saying was uh, write what you love uh the second thing you said your first draft always sucks um, and uh, James and I have discussed this many times, and uh, yeah. so, and I think you know, this is, I suppose, this is the first way in which you know the, the link between uh, us and what you're doing is. Uh, I'd just like to think we could have a, a bit of a discussion about how uh, that that kind of fear of putting your stuff out there, and how 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 you've sort of overcome that to create this sort of phenomenal number of uh, books, novels and, and non-fiction? Yeah, so I think uh, fear is never going to go away. I think that's the one thing you realise. I mean, I can't imagine trying stand-up comedy. Like, that That terrifies me. <laughs> like, the yeah. thought, you know, I, I have thought about doing some improv courses and things like that. But I imagine that, that there's the same um, fear with speaking your mind as writing your mind and I've certainly had I've actually had a lot more issues with writing fiction and worrying about putting that in the world fear of judgment I think fear that someone will read my book and think oh she's you know very dark or very strange or why is she killing everyone <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and the things that you write in your books you know if you read my fiction you really see into my brain like you you see a part of me that even my family sometimes don't see because they don't read my books <laughs> as we all know yeah. our family is not usually our biggest no fans <laughs> no yeah but um in, term, in terms of facing that fear i think when you find your creative outlet that you really love and you discover that you can uh you can do this like you, you enjoy doing it and when once i wrote that first book and then i, I wrote my first novel 2009 to 2011 and that you know so realistically the first few years were quite slow and then it was a bit like a snowball speeding up i, I left my job in 2011 to go full-time as a as a writer and also mm. you know podcaster online and all of that and since then you know i i, I love doing this i love what i do and that has to be 
why we keep doing it. And if you're not scared a little bit, then maybe you're not putting yourself mm. out there enough and you're not being, maybe you're not going deep enough if you're not a little bit scared or yeah. a lot scared, <laughs> because in that way, you know that what you're doing really does come from, from the heart. Now I, to be very clear, I'm a businesswoman. I make multi six figures at doing, running my business. I absolutely um, write books to also sell them, but I write them from a, a, a authentic place, hmm. but then I market them and, and make money from them. So I believe, I really believe you can do both, but I agree. I mean, that the fear is still there. It never goes away. You just have to learn to live with it and keep creating. Hmm. Can I just ask about that moment when you, there was presumably a point where you had to stop doing what you were doing in order to do what you're currently doing full time. And it might not have been obvious that that was the right decision. Um, was there a bit where you had to slightly take a bit of a leap and go, if, if I'm going to make a go of this, then I'm really going to have to stop doing earning easy money doing my previous job, as it were, as in a job that I know how to do in order to to start doing a job I'd, I'm going to have to kind of figure out as I go along? Yeah. Was, was there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, to be clear, so I started writing 2006. I left my job 2011. So I spent five years doing this, uh, getting up at 5 a.m., writing, coming home from work, working on my website, connecting, podcasting, working every mm. weekend. I mean, I made a big decision, which was I basically opted out of my career. I said, I will do my, I didn't say this, obviously, to them, but I, I said, I'll I will do this work, I will get paid and I will do nothing else. So when people ask me to do extra stuff at work, I'm not doing it. And I, right. I'm just doing what I need to do to keep my job. Um, yeah. Also, my husband, incredible, supportive husband, I said to him, I can't do this anymore. Like I, I got to the point where I was crying at work. I was so miserable. They were paying me like six figures and I was just miserable. And I said to my husband, I, I can't do this. And so we downsized. So this is a really big deal. We sold everything. We sold our investment properties we sold our house we moved uh, into rented accommodation cleared all our debt and so that because I was earning more money at the time than he was in order that we could take a step back and that I could really focus on growing the business and then when I actually left the job I had six months uh, income um, you know saved and yeah. uh, when I left I said to my husband if in six months I'm not making this amount of money I will go back to work now it turned out that in six months I was not making that amount of money but I was right. on the way and we basically said all right let's give this a go but it took but uh, so 2011 I left my job and 2015 was when I actually surpassed what I had earned in my previous career and and now I earn you know multiple times mm. what I used to earn so I completely understand I would say to people do not just go right I'm gonna become a stand-up comedian just leave my job and do that I it, as I said it was five years of working uh, nowadays they kind of call it a side hustle <laughs> back then yeah. the language was a little bit different but uh it was basically a side hustle I, I was very very committed but the moment of decision the decision is I am going to do this whatever it takes and that's kind of the way it still is for me is I love writing books and I'm going to figure out how to do this whatever it takes because so much has changed since I started uh, self-publishing even you know things the way we do stuff the way we market the way we sell books it has radically changed really but I've just pivoted and kept up with the latest thing and multiple streams of income and just kept going really because I, I love it and that has to be what it comes down to. Well I, I think 
think that's a, that that's an interesting uh, point to come in and talk about the the, the, the comedy world because uh, I would say that we are possibly uh, at the point within comedy where you were when you looked at the world of publishing in 2006 or whenever uh, when James and I started this podcast in 2015 it was very much about write your sitcom script to get it made for TV or radio and that still is our kind of principal thing but in the last two or three years we've come around more and more we've seen more and more people making things online um, more and more kind of independent companies and uh, just starting to see uh, uh, and obviously Covid has kind of increased the amount of uh, online interaction and, and comedy so we're starting to see possibly uh, a world in which uh, it might be possible, more possible for people who want to write uh, comedy to uh, do it through, uh, not through the traditional routes. Um, so, and, and I was wondering if you, if you, 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 looking at the kind of trends that you know and you've seen with publishing, um, do you think that's likely to be a possible thing to happen with uh, TV and movies? Uh, well, TV and movies, the, the main thing, the main difference with being an independent creator when it comes to books is that you can do this yourself. Now, I I call myself an independent author. I run an independent publishing house uh, mm. because I do work with professional editors, professional cover designers, you know, other professional graphic people, like uh, professional marketing people. And so I have a team of freelancers, but mainly I can do this myself. I don't need um, anyone else. And so it doesn't cost that much. <laughs> the overheads for being a fiction writer, for example, are very, very small. To get a film made or to get a TV series made, you, you, you can do it yourself, but you need a lot of different skills. So yeah. the main difference, I think, is the amount of collaboration that is needed to produce, you know, video and um, even something like yeah. a multicast audio production. But what I would say is, obviously, you've got um, plenty of, I mean, t TikTok is the big one right now, right? With There are people, comedians, that woman who does the Donald Trump um you know it uses his words and does them on tiktok i can't remember her name but I, i'm you know, just laughing away at this stuff and my husband watches a lot of youtube and um a lot of comedy on on youtube there's plenty of people who are ha who have their own shows on youtube and i think the biggest mindset shift also audiobooks i was going to mention you didn't ask about audiobooks but audiobooks are huge right now and i i yeah. listen to um sue perkins uh, has a couple of books out and she obviously she's hilarious and i'm just laughing away and th so there's a lot of ways that you can do comedy that is not just i know this is sitcom geeks <laughs> yeah but you know we're open to you know any form of comedy writing you know is 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 all fair game really and it's for some people it can be an end in itself to you know to to do situation comedy but for others it's just i love writing comedy how can i do it and how can i do it professionally you know mm. that's you well know, I, so. I i think and as i said that the, there is a mindset shift which is about where your money comes from because if you let's say you write a sitcom you're a writer at the bbc for you know sitcoms uh, or whatever tv network you get paid from this third party and they pay mm. you and that's what you're used to doing so it's a bit like a job in that you know I used to work for a company uh, I'd get paid once a month I get you know this money would come in in a big chunk my model of business 
I, I literally have hundreds now, multi hundreds, like maybe about mm. 400 or at last count of different income streams. And those income streams vary. So, so one income stream might be 10 bucks a month from, you know, one from a short story. It might be, um, you know, two and a half grand from uh, do, selling Korean rights to one of my books. It might be, you know, 50 bucks from a, a course that I made that I sold. Yeah. So each of these streams of income in total gives me far more than I used to mm. get with this one paycheck. But the mindset shift to go from, you know, one uh, chunk of money every month from the same company to multiple streams of income from people all over the place. So you guys have a Patreon, right? For, for this show. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So Patreon is brilliant. I have a Patreon and I love my patrons and they are amazing people uh, who yeah. put in a small, yes, wonderful. They, they, well, one or two. You know. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. they put in a small amount of money every month and in total that can add up to really good money. And um, there are, you know, musicians, like Amanda Palmer is probably the most famous who makes, who now just, does everything for her patrons and that's how she makes like 50 grand a month basically so hmm. this is the thing it's about shifting your mindset to multiple streams of income so uh, you know a, a comedian it might be okay i'm going to write my uh, i know you you guys have got some non-fiction books on how to write comedy then you've yeah. got you know maybe maybe you do a workshop or something once we can or do an online thing then maybe yeah. you also do some stand-up comedy you get paid for that maybe you know there's lots of different things you can do to earn money in different ways and then something like a youtube channel is interesting now because it used to be that people relied very much on ads but now you see patreon and other forms of merchandising or other forms of sponsorship where the youtuber or the whatever platform they're on are now getting money in other ways so i think that mindset shift is the key I think, yeah, that, that was a massive revelation to me uh, yesterday, listening to your episode where you were talking about um, rights and, uh, you know, that, that it's actually, it's not as difficult as we think it is. And I I've, I've have literally for the last nearly 40 years uh, always uh, were, when I had work and I've been kind of uh, having an agent and, and, but I've always had the mindset of I am an artist. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I can't handle all this money stuff. It's just too complicated. It's much easier to hand it all over to my agent. And listening to you talking yesterday about, well, if you want to have your rights for this and that, and I've been thinking about the various books and things I do, I'm thinking, yeah, I could do that. And, but for the first time, not getting a huge knot in my stomach and thinking, oh my God, this is something my agent would do. But actually, I could just learn it myself and, and and I think this is a fantastic thing for, for because a lot of people I know in comedy feel the same way it's like you know I like me I think they're very uh, kind of scared they're scared of money and it's always oh I'll leave all that to my agent and I, I do think that for the future people who want to get on in comedy there's uh, for, for professionals there's the fear of like oh you know I've got to get the agent to do it and the people who are starting out it's more a kind of well actually I could just get these if I could get a thousand people who like my YouTube channel or my podcast or my my uh, radio version of podcast then I could actually develop my own uh, career so that, that I don't know James if you you think that's a possible yeah thing. no I was gonna come in on that um, in that I think comedy particularly does attract people who don't really do systems particularly well and when as you're talking about all of the different 
fingers in pies that you've got, some of them actually would start to freak out at that. And in a, in a way, it's just a question of taking ownership of what excites you and what you can do and try to get other people to do stuff that you're, you are worried about. So occasionally I have a conversation with my accountant because I can't do my accounts. I'm the faintest idea. Um, and, you know, when it comes to I was looking at some online thing and I just wrote an, e an email to my accountant and just said, how would the tax situation work on this? I don't know what an E9 form is that the Amer that an American website would have to make me fill in in order to, is that more trouble than it's worth? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's just a question of knowing what you're good at and doing that and being prepared to learn new things. Um, I remember hearing, I think Werner Herzog or somebody said, you can make a movie for $4,000. All you need to do is teach yourself how to make a movie for $4,000. You're going to have to edit it. You're going to have to edit it yourself. Well, that's okay. Learn how to edit. Uh, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. Okay, well, and if you don't want to do that, you're going to have to work out how to raise a bit of money to pay someone else to do the things that you don't want to do. And that's fine. But I think writers particularly, and we had this chat on a little Patreon uh, chat the other day, writers can see having an agent as a bit of a magic wand and that they will sort everything out for you. And actually, although I'm very grateful to my agent and she's brilliant and I wouldn't, I, you know, wouldn't want to stop being represented by her, it, you know, they don't generate you that much work. They're very good at reading contracts and making sure that you're getting, you know, and increasing your fee. But that's in TV and radio. That's a very specific market. And there's a whole load of other things that I do which generate income that my agent has no interest in negotiating or dealing with. So it's a question of sort of figuring out what you're comfortable with and not seeing, you know, uh, an agent as the answer to everything. Because I guess in, in, the, in the author's world, particularly, there is a way of saying, well, if only I could get an agent and get a mainstream publisher, all my problems would be over. And you go, wow, no, the money in mainstream publishing is terrible. You know, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, it depends what kind of deal you get. I mean, obviously, some people, and I'm sure it's the same in comedy and TV, there are an, a, a certain group of writers who still do make very good money. Um, yeah. But the, you know, it's a bit more like the the lottery in a way. And absolutely, if you want to play the lottery, then great. It's, and I'm not, you know, I, I have deals with publishers, um, you know, all, yeah. all over the place. I license different rights. Uh, and, you know, an independent author and an independent creative, the main difference is taking responsibility for your career and mm. saying nobody cares about your career like you do. And hmm. most most authors certainly, um, you know, well, many authors, let's say there is a rare author who will stick with one agent and one publisher for their entire career. Um, yeah. Very rare. Um, most authors will you know may change agents will change publishers or a publisher will go bust um you know will get bought or you know things change i mean it, well the bbc as you mentioned before is a, a great case in point there was a few years back where they just let a whole load of people go right in the in very in the audio yeah. audiobook space i think that was a big one you know a lot of people who relied on that got let go as as funding changes and what we have to take responsibility for our own creative lives and also our own business lives so and it's got to come from a place of what you're happy doing and yeah. what you like you said what you enjoy and what you can learn i do want to come back on that tax form though because it made me laugh because there is a specific tax form i think it's the w8 ben 
B-E-N or B-E-N-E. And what's so funny is that is a form. If you don't fill that kind of form in when you do something like um, self-publish on Amazon, you you yeah. you have 40% withholding tax will be taken off your money. And, yeah, yeah. and I actually remember feeling the same way back in 2010 when I first self-published on Amazon. I was like, but I'm only making $2 a month. So why would I, you know, I'm not going to bother filling this film in, uh, uh, yeah. form in because, you know, I'm just not making enough money. And now, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's an extreme amount of money. So what I would yeah. say is you can learn all these things. And the great thing about the internet, as you guys know about podcasting, about blogs, I mean, I have a, a free ebook, Successful Self-Publishing, which, you know, there's no excuse. It's free. You can get yeah. it, you can follow it, and it will tell you how to do all this stuff. And there are lots of people sharing their journeys and how to do everything. I mean, you, you mentioned the filmmaking there, or, or even with comedy, masterclass.com. Mm. You can pay 99 US dollars and you can learn a, a ton of stuff. Like they have everything on there. I've done the Dan Brown's course. I've done James Patterson's course. Uh, there are all kinds of brilliant mm. places to learn this stuff now. So I would just say to people, like be more empowered empower yourself with the knowledge mm. to do these things and there literally is very little you can't do now if you want to you just have to make a decision and then learn how to do it as you say but then equally it is deciding what you're not going to do um and for example i started screenwriting a couple of years ago and then i discovered that it is a very different world to yeah. books and i decided for now i'm not going to screenwrite but what i'm probably going to do is turn those screenplays into audio dramas because audio right. dramas are something that are within my pot in the realm of possibility they're a lot cheaper to produce and the audio space is just awesome right now so that's an example why don't we talk about a little about your creative process um because obviously you've you do a lot of time you, you spend a lot of time you know talking about how to promote yourself as an independent author and lots of other things like that but in terms of actually plotting your novels and how, how do you go about you know do, do you have you are you kind of making it up as you go along uh, and do, changing your system or do you have a fairly rigorous system in terms of how you actually write? Well, I think certainly, obviously, when we all start out, we kind of fuddle around and make it up. <laughs> I think yeah. probably by book five, you start to figure out a way of writing and you figure out what's kind of meant to happen when you write a book. But I still pretty much have the same um, process now, which is I use Scrivener software. Yes. Yeah, so I often base my books and my ideas around places that I travel. So at the moment, uh, I'm writing Tree of Life, which is based on the Portuguese empire or what was the Portuguese empire, because I went to Lisbon and there's a, um, if, you, if you've been to Lisbon, there's a big mosaic and it has what the Portuguese empire used to be. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. So I started researching and, and uh, figuring out um, how I could uh, put in lots of things. And then I went to Amsterdam and uh, went to the Portuguese uh, synagogue and didn't really know that a group of Portuguese Jews had ended up in Amsterdam. And so I sort of followed that. Also Jamaica. So like, there are some just incredibly interesting things when you start looking at history. And then I, what I generally do with my thrillers is I weave that into modern day uh, conspiracy thriller, really. Uh, that's right. what I do. Sort of Dan Brown style uh, thrillers. Yeah. That's what one of my, my things. I have some other books uh, as well. But so my writing process is really just, I do, love research. I'm just 
obsessed with research. So I do a lot of that. And then I will start the book. I generally know my opening scene. I know how it's going to end. And I have a couple of things in the middle that I'm like, yeah, this has to happen. This has to happen. And then I just assign time. And this, we all know, this is the key. So I have a particular, when I do my first draft, that's what I focus on. I do sort of two to four hours a day writing. And I just, I normally get the first draft done in about five, six weeks. And wow, then, blimey. and then I work on, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm full, I'm a full-time writer. I don't really have much of an excuse. Um, and then I, I then go through the editing process. I, and I have, um, you know, a professional editor I work with who's been with me for a few books now and she's just great and then I you know do some revisions and go through uh, some uh, proofreading and, and all the rest of it but basically I just uh, I get my ideas from where I travel and like my I've just finished a trilogy of fantasy novels based here in Bath uh, sp oh. split world fantasy where if you know the circus which is this uh, round um, sort of Georgian uh, place with a, a group of plane trees in the middle and I just walked through it one night and thought what if there was a portal to another world in the middle of Bath and that kind of and what if I could walk through maps there's a lot of map shops in Bath and so I started writing that that's based here I've got a London series as well my Brooke and Daniel psychological thrillers so I'm just very inspired by the places I go and I, I mean I think comedy is probably the same right you're inspired by the things you see or um, mm. the things you experience and then I uh, my main character in my arcane series morgan sierra it's, it's got a lot of me in her <laughs> so, right, yeah, yeah. you know that makes sense a lot of um uh, james and i have done we've we read a lot of scripts and uh, and a lot of what we've kind of felt in the last year or so is where scripts are let down uh, is in the plotting and i know that plotting is something that that is very important to you and i wonder how how thorough and how how, how you go about getting your plotting right uh, ahead of actually sitting down and writing the, the first draft? Well, there are, there are two main schools of writers, you know, the plotters and the so-called pantsers. I prefer the term discovery writer. And uh -huh. actually, I'm more of a discovery writer. Um, but what I do... Can, can, can you I just do... sort of explain roughly what, what you mean by... Yeah, so yeah. Um, a plotter would be someone like... Um, Jeffrey Deaver is a classic example of a plotter. He will write sort of a 200 page outline, which is everything that is going to happen in the book. And then he will write the book that follows the outline exactly. Um, whereas someone like Stephen King is a pantser or a discovery writer and he does not plot and he just starts writing and then at some point finishes writing and something happens. Now it's interesting because Stephen King's one of my favorite writers and I absolutely his some of his books are my favorite books like The Stand is one of my favorite books. It is a fantastic book um, but Equally, some of his books have endings that can be disappointing, which may be because of the lack of plotting. But, you know, he's, he's just a modern master. But what I do find is that um, when obviously you can revise things. But for me, I write thrillers like that's my main series. I know what happens in a thriller. We all know what happens in a thriller. Like there are some things that have to happen. The obligatory scenes, things like, you know, at some point the hero has to 
confront the villain uh, there has yeah. to be some kind of either physical fight or some kind of fight and the, the yeah. hero will look like they're losing and then they'll come back and then they'll win and uh, and they save the world uh, you, you know yeah. there are genre tropes and then what we have to do as writers is uh, have original things within the genre tropes yeah. so for example one of my favorite films is con air <laughs> which oh yeah I'm good, just, food, good film oh i love connor it's really yeah. i just love it and i mean you know what's going to happen you absolutely know that you know the good guy's going to win in the end he's going to get back to yeah. his family and all that um but the fun is the stuff that happens along the way so to me the kind of what can i blow up is stuff that goes yeah. on in the plot right but we still have to remember that characters are very important and yeah. that we have to have um you know strength yeah. in those characters so it's so interesting that you say yeah. that plot lets scripts down because yeah. you know i i i definitely do not have a problem with plot and in fact when i had i pitched to an agent once and um one of my screenplays and he said this is great but it'll cost you 200 million dollars <laughs> right <laughs> how about you write something like a small budget horror movie and Set i was like well room. i just yeah exactly yeah. i'm like yeah i just don't write like that i write big big stuff yeah. that's what i naturally those are the movies i like you know i love avengers the, uh... <laughs> the, the three, the three most, the three most expensive words you can write, I think, are the fleets engage. <laughs> You know what I mean? You go, oh, okay. Yeah, that's where the colour drains from the production manager's face at that point. Yeah, so um, I think what, but this is why I'm um, uh, talking about audio drama. Audio drama is, I think, very exciting uh, thing. Um, and of course, audio comedies or whatever else, because there's no, well, the production value is so much lower because you can have the fleet engaging, you can have sounds of yeah. the fleet engaging and you don't, and people can imagine that. So I really, I'm very excited about this renaissance in audio. I think, that we can do this uh we can do this easily you can hire actors you can also within a couple of years it will be you'll be able to do um use ai voices as well so there will be ways that we can produce audio uh, at a much more cost effective rate and mm. uh you know readers and listeners will will love it well and, and, and i know uh, from listening to your podcasts as well uh and this is um partly speculation on on your part but uh, you talk a lot about uh, Spotify and how Spotify is going is going to try and do with audio what it has succeeded in doing uh, with music and um, the, the, the possibility that, that um, more and more things will be done on Spotify do you think there is a possibility that that uh, audio uh, comedy and drama which which has only ever been really done on radio 4 in that more or less in the whole world do you do you think that, that there's a prospect for that um, thanks to Spotify? Yeah, and I, always, I find it funny that you say that because, of course, that's very English focused, very UK focused. But mm. I think the I I think on a kind of global scale and mm. there are I mean, podcast drama. I started listening to podcast dramas uh, over a decade ago and certainly not by the BBC. And so, you know, multicast dramas and other things that people put out on podcast feeds back in the back in the day. So I, I don't think this is anything new. And podcast fiction is is huge. It's a, it's a huge niche already. And what's interesting with Spotify is that they have already started taking over the, the podcast market. And by uh, in the last couple of months, obviously, they've got Michelle Obama, um, Michelle Obama's yeah. podcast, which is just is one particular, very interesting demographic. And then they've got um, 
with Joe Rogan. And yeah. to me, you couldn't get two more different people than Joe Rogan and Michelle Obama. You've got sort of, you know, alpha male, huge audience of, of, yeah. of men. And then you've got Michelle Obama, huge audience of women. Obviously, there's crossover. Um, but they are aggressively... Not much. No, yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, let's be there's honest. Not much. Not much. Yeah. But, but they're aggressively going after um, podcast listeners. And then what we've seen with... Uh, and their algorithms are incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, and then what yeah. we've seen with um, with uh, the podcast listeners is that people who listen to podcasts will often more and more of them listen to audiobooks because what yeah. happens is you're listening to a podcast and you're like do you know what i think that person's really interesting i really want to read their book so for example successful self-publishing you can get as an audiobook read by me uh, obviously you have to pay a couple of dollars for that but or pounds sorry <laughs> depending yeah. on where you are but it's um you know so that's why people go from a podcast to an audiobook uh, and yeah. my fiction's available in audio so just this i think spotify yeah. uh, they're, they're a company they make money right so if you look at people's listening habits they uh will they like their apps you know they like their particular things yeah. and what they've got i think their discoverability algorithm is incredible i also think that audio is going to subscription model anyway and yeah. that if you look at something like scribd or scribed in the uk they have yeah. unlimited audio for a subscription storytell have a certain uh, thing obviously audible slightly different but um subscription models are here to stay for sure and that's why the multiple streams of income are important so i hope that spotify will pay audiobook <laughs> creators more because obviously they don't pay podcast creators like ourselves uh, at the moment um my podcast are on Spotify and it's kind of a discoverability thing at the moment yeah. but one would hope that when they move into audiobooks they'll pay in the same way they pay um, musicians or hopefully better <laughs> yeah yeah good luck with that yeah <laughs> but well, except you say as you say though you you want to be in all of these markets or the ones that suit you I think I, I agree the the audio uh, the audio market is growing and growing and growing. Audible are commissioning uh, original dramas um, and comedies, and um, you know, and Radio Four do not have the dominance even in the UK that they used to have. And I think people tend to sort of forget that there are you know five hundred million English speakers worldwide, first language English speakers worldwide. They're your market because the in the internet doesn't really care where you live mm. unless you live in China or Turkmenistan. Um, or North Korea, but other than that, you're sort of you you know you 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 can find people. So and I, and I, and it's an end in itself. If you like audio, particularly, I love audio, and in a way, I wish I'd been having a career forty years earlier when Hancock's Half Hour was you know or whatever you know, in the nineteen fifties and sixties, where radio comedies were listened to by twenty five million people, um, and that was exciting to me because I just love audio. And that's fine. I think that's what we're, we're almost coming back into another golden age of audio. Like we really are because especially people are sick of screens. Um, mm. They are, especially post pandemic, you know, or during the pandemic, people are, they're just on screens so much and they want time without screens. You know, my, my yeah. husband listens to these 40 plus hour fantasy novels. That's how he reads now. He reads through audio because he's, his eyes are tired, you know, and just doesn't want to look at a screen anymore and people are getting their story and their uh, entertainment he just he's always chuckling along to some comedy 
podcast yeah. when he's cook- cooking or but I think you're right about the attitude and it's possible that it's because I was I left the UK in 2000 to go backpacking and then I didn't come back until 2011 and I do often feel that if I had stayed in the UK I may not have the career I have now because we have a very different attitude towards this kind of independent creativity and I was mm. I was living in Australia which is a very different um, mentality but also I was highly influenced by the bloggers uh, the American bloggers um, and podcasters uh, early doors so being influenced by the Americans is uh, and realizing that the biggest paying online market English speaking is America and then you think okay I can reach them plus we have an advantage because Americans love listening to British people Mm. So you actually get a uh, an advantage by having a different accent when you create your books. So I would say to people listening, you know, for example, if you have a book or if you've written something, you know, you you might consider recording that yourself or, you know, if you're doing comedy, presumably you, you use your voice. So audio is a really good way in, I think. Mm. And I think also because it's because audio is cheaper to do, you can achieve more in terms of uh, in terms of volume, uh, by which I mean, it, I, th- I think sometimes if you pour your heart and soul into one thing, you want to monetize that one thing. And that the first thing you do is not going to be terribly profitable because nobody knows who you are. Um, and actually what you're trying to do is create a canon of work, a body of work uh, as part of a career. And so actually you need to be thinking you know, I need to write five books, 10 books, 15 books, audio plays, audio things, so that if they like this, then they'll buy that and then they'll buy that. Um, and so I think audio particularly and and uh, the written word, whereas you can spend 10 years making a two hour movie mm. and that will that will pretty much take up your whole time. And in two hours, it's done. It's like, well, where's the next one? Well, I'm afraid it's going to be <laughs> another 10 years. All right. I might be dead by then. Uh, so it's, you know, so I think it is... It is a good, it is, if that particularly you like those things, don't, you don't want to see audio or the written word as, you know, a, a poor relation of the big screen or the small screen. I should, uh, and I think, I yeah. was just going to say, I, I should point out uh, at this point as well that uh, I'm, the book I'm currently reading uh, is one of your latest books, I think, Audio for Authors. Uh, and the, the, there's a, a whole range of, of, of ways in which uh, you can do audio from in, in your latest book. Is that, that correct? Yeah. Mm. Yes, thank you for mentioning it. Yes, indeed. Well, I think because I've been in audio so long and then there was a real tipping point in 2019 where the money started to come into podcasting. And, you know, having podcasted for so long, uh, it was like, oh, my goodness, podcasting is about to go nuts. And we've actually just seen, as we record this in the last few weeks, the New York Times has bought a podcast network and a a load of publishers have started a podcast Mm. network. So, you know, we're really seeing things take off in in this sphere. So, yeah, Audio for Authors has a lot if people want to do it themselves. But as I said, I mean, I've, I've, as I've got here in my office, I've got like a, a, a frame with a, a blanket over where I record my audio. A, a lot of audio book narrators now have their own home studio and it's not even that expensive anymore. So we're just so lucky to live in a time where we can create, we can produce, we can publish, we can get paid uh, through the Internet. <laughs> 
Hmm. Uh, one yeah. thing I'd just like to pick up on that you mentioned, and, and again, I was uh, quite quite shocked when I was listening to a recent uh, podcast that you did where you were interviewing somebody who has made a lot of uh, kind of progress on uh, AI. And you, uh, I, I, it, listening to that podcast changed my view because I always thought of uh, AI as um, the, the enemy, Satan. Um, and um, hmm. I think a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people fear what uh what it's going to bring but th- this guy i can't remember the name of the guy you interviewed but he he kind of opened my eyes and that that podcast opened my eyes to the possibilities for ai how how do you see that developing in our creative worlds yeah it's something i am totally fascinated with and and I, my opinion is that um you can't stop this this is this is like the internet again this is about what you thought of the internet in sort of 1995 is where we are with artificial intelligence. And in fact, again, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen the release of GPT-3. If people are interested, that is that is the most, um, I would say that's quite shocking to many people, what GPT-3 can do, which is basically right. <laughs> so oh. um, this is very interesting. I think that we have to reinvent copyright law to, uh, to deal with this. I believe that what we want to do is license our work for the creation of more creative work and I believe that licensing needs to be a part of that so we can be paid as part of this new world um, and but also we need to embrace the tools so as I mentioned I use Scrivener as a tool I use um, Amazon KDP to publish I use PayPal we use Patreon we're using Spotify or whatever so I believe in embracing AI as a creative tool to help me uh, do the things that I might not want to do so much of so for example marketing you mentioned um, before uh, doing paid ads on marketing would be great if uh, an AI could do that for me uh, it would be great if if the AI could figure out where I could find more readers um, maybe I, I can use an AI tool to help me do my research and this type of thing thinking about it in a positive way is really important um AI, i mentioned ai voices in fact after, mm. after we finished i'm actually uh recording some audio for my voice double so what i have a voice double using a uh, system called descript.com and what that means is that i can record i can type text and then it will read it in my voice and i believe that i'll be licensing my voice in the next couple of years so if you want to include my voice in your audio drama you should be able to license it and that will be another micro payment stream of income for me uh, oh man i can just that that is that sound there you can hear is the minds exploding of people listening to this <laughs> i mean that is this is huge stuff isn't it but it's like you you want to be savvy to this stuff because it is coming it is all coming um, yes, well, and it's well, exciting. Yeah, exactly. And I would say it's it's not coming; it is here. Uh, yeah, we already have the first AI narrated audiobooks, and this is this is the. If you are not embracing it, then you're going to have a tough time. In the same way, if you don't embrace the way that we use the internet, you're you're going to have a tough time. And yeah. what is so interesting with the pandemic is that people who have resisted a lot of online, like my business, was completely fine because I already ran my business on the internet yeah. it was already uh, digital but people have shifted in the last sort of six months mm-hmm. and suddenly pivoted into the digital space and like I know people obviously there's been a lot of awful things and 
there are still a lot of awful things. But I also know people who've run a business, a physical business, who have pivoted online and are doing so much better because they realize they can, you know, teach people yoga in Finland or America and, you know, or they're doing all these different things. So I want people to be excited about the possibilities. But also, I mean, obviously there are lots of... um, issues but the, the the biggest issue is if creative people do not engage with ai and technology they will do it anyway and we will have missed out on being part of the conversation that's why mm. i really think creatives and uh, people of all different uh, creative persuasions need to engage with technology because otherwise suddenly something's released like gpt3 and what's Mm. happening if we don't recognize that that's possible uh that's when it will harm us whereas if we go okay i acknowledge this is happening how can i surf this change how Mm. can i use this and not get drowned by it and and i'm looking at it going all right i cannot beat the machine i cannot beat it the machine will soon be writing books much faster than i can ever write and how am i going to stand out and what i believe it comes down to as we mentioned is is the thousand true fans model by kevin kelly which i talked about in that episode 500 which is double down on being human double down on being you and you will attract people because you are human because you are you Mm. and you don't need to be number one in the world to make money you're living in the long tail you you make your money where you are and who you are and um and that's pretty empowering i think can you just say a bit more about that uh, 500 true fans or th- I've read that fans, uh, fairly yeah. recently <laughs> yeah but it's uh, well it depends on how much how much you're charging your fans but uh, why don't you say a bit about that because I, I think that's quite an encouraging uh, thought really yeah so it was sort of I think it was 2006 uh, Kevin Kelly who started Wired magazine uh, wrote an article called a thousand true fans and it's it, at the beginning you know back then also back then was um, the concept of the long tail which is the mass market is over more and more people are not reading the same thing they're not watching the same thing they're not listening to the same thing we all have our little micro niches uh where we live um and you know we find this weird podcast on you know knitting with a particular type of wool um that we just love that niche you know that type of thing so what a thousand true fans basically says the mass market is over you're not going to have that hit tv show like friends because essentially that there wasn't anything else on at the time there were only three channels Um, but now there are unlimited number of channels for your time there are unlimited number of shows on Netflix and we're not all watching the same thing you know I watched um, Warrior Nun (laughs) the other night I love Warrior Nun and I'm like wow they really designed this show just for me (laughs) (laughs) and that's what they can do and if you if you log on to Netflix you get shown different shows than I do and so when this thousand true fans is okay who likes a 45 year old English woman who enjoys Con Air and Warrior Nun? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, if you're a fan of those things, you might like my fiction. And if you like one of my books, maybe you like two of them. And thus I can make 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks from that reader over mm. my lifetime. And if I can make, uh, get a certain number of people who like what I do, then I can make a living without relying on having this number one hit. And I feel like people who are denying this reality, they're the ones who are making less and less money every year because that's just not what we're living in anymore. Yeah. We're just... I guess, yeah. I guess people are, they, they want to, in the sitcom terms, they want to, 
to do a sitcom like Porridge or um, Only Fools and Horses because that's that what they were brought up with. And then they want to write books that they can go into a bookshop and buy physically because that's what they were brought up with. And actually, you know, t- TV is streaming and there's a whole there's a whole world out there of, of stuff. And also the amount of ebooks being read now, it's not even newsworthy, is it? I mean, in terms of just like, you know, people, I think probably a lot of listeners to our show probably are above averagely attached to the printed word. But that ship sailed you know, a decade ago, didn't it? Something like that. I mean, what percentage of your books do you think are physical books compared to ebooks? Yeah, I, I don't know why you say that at all, because, <laughs> I mean, um, for my nonfiction, it's 60% print, probably. Okay, I yeah. mean, it's, it, what has changed is that the vast majority of print books are sold online. So right. people buy print on Amazon, they buy print on um, Hive, they buy print from, you know, the lo- you can order my books from your local bookstore. Yeah. And th- the reality, and, you know, my books are available in large print, they're available in hardback, they're in ebook, audio yeah. book. So th- th- there is, I, I think, yeah, I, I don't, not sure where you got that yeah, from, but. Um... Well, no, it's no, it's more that <laughs> the fact that we, we, we are kind of, we, we, we have the things that we aspire to and they're basically paradigms that took 20 years to become successful in the 90s rather than actually just go, well, the, these are all kind of changing and we need to be open to the fact that people are consuming different things in different ways. I mean, the idea that, that even 40% of your stuff is, is bought um, is, as an ebook. I mean, that is a huge percentage to where people thought it would be you know, ten years ago, people thought, "Oh no, the ebook that will never catch on." Well, I, I, and it's like, no, it I think is. it's the other way actually, because I think you know when I started in 1983 and I was writing for radio, and pretty much through the 80s and 90s, it was all you know, kind of, well, how long, how long has radio got? And then video came along, and when video came along, people said, "Oh, how long have the movies got?" You know, it's the end. It's yeah. the end of radio. It's the end of the movies. It's the end of uh, uh, ebooks came along. It's the end of uh, the paperback well I, I, I think I, I think like Joanna was saying about the way that people are sick of screens um, you know yeah. people are also you know they like to hold a book you know they like to have that thing yeah. in their hand I th- and, I th- and I think yeah. those this... things are the kind of things yeah. that we can hold on to and embrace AI at the same time I think my next book should be available only on audio cassette. How about that? Yeah. Well, they say or, or they mini say, disc. They say that cassettes are coming back like vinyl. I can't see it myself. But no. I think what is different is the way we produce these things. So my print books are print on demand. So basically, yeah. if you order one at your local bookstore, that they will put an order in through the catalog. One copy yeah. will be printed and sent yeah. out. And the same if you order them on Amazon or whatever. So that's changed. Um, yeah. But that's, that's brilliant as well. Yes. That's so it's much greener. You, much more yeah, sustainable yeah. yeah and you don't have you know 5,000 copies in a warehouse somewhere you know that need to then be shipped and shipped I've got a friend who's um, republished some books that are out of copyright that are related to academic stuff from the 19th century and yeah it, every single book, book is public is printed in the territory where somebody buys mm. it from anywhere in the world exactly and that that is the type of thing where you so you can have all of these products you can do print on demand everything now you know people are doing selling print on demand masks now um you know so with branding on from your podcasts if you like you know yeah. have some swag but i think you know the main message of of this show and, and my message is certainly all about empowering creatives to mm. say okay 
I'm taking control of my career. What one thing can I do today to learn about something new, to look at a person that I, I want to do something like them, to go find out how they do what they do, learn that thing, and then put something into action and just just to take those little steps day after day and sort of circling back to where we started, if you take those little steps day after day, doing what you love and finding out new ways to reach people, then, you know, you look back a decade later and you're like, whoa, okay, this, this has worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think people, as a, there's an aphorism, which is people overestimate what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in five years. Absolutely. And I think it's always a question of just make a start and then actually after a while you'll realise you've actually moved a lot further than you thought even though at the time it felt like a, like a glacial pace that you were moving. So can I, um, just, just to end up then, uh, we can say, uh, it feels like a good time to ask you this because that, that episode 500 you were very much kind of reflecting on, on the previous years. What is there kind of one thing uh, that you would say above everything else um, you've you've told us your desert island things now. What's the what, what's the one thing that we should take away from uh, what you've learned in those twelve years? Uh, I think it's that anything is possible, and that if you have even if you have these big goals. So of course, I would love to have a movie like Con Air made of my books or yeah. um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is one of my favorite movies. And you know, my thrillers are in that kind of genre, really, that kind of big thriller uh, action adventure genre. I would love that, you know, that is still a goal of mine. I wanna make seven figures in a year. You know, I want to do, I have these big goals, but I am not gonna spend my time aiming just at that goal it's like what are the little things i can do along the way and so i i feel like you know you can do anything and you can learn how to do it in that way mm. and as you said it's just step by step by step and i would really encourage people especially if you're like you guys sit if you're sitting on years of work if you're sitting on 30 years of writing I don't know what what rights do you own of those things it may be that you own nothing but it may be that you have work in you or you could create work you might be sitting on money right now i know i know so many traditionally published authors who have not licensed say in america <laughs> if you've licensed yeah. work in the uk do you have the rights to publish it in the us it may be that you are already sitting on work that you could license or publish yourself or whatever yeah. so i would say you know really especially audio rights that just weren't part of of the original thing yes, even audio, five years ago even did ebook rights the reason jk rowling has pottermore um she pub she independently publishes all her ebooks because she didn't sign away the ebook rights of harry potter and she Ooh. didn't she decided not to so she has pottermore because she sells all the ebooks of harry potter uh, through her own company so be smart like jk yeah. rowling <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, she, yeah. Could, she could use the extra uh, income stream there, I think. And she, yeah, you know, absolutely. But, but, yeah. You know, Especially but, if she's going to get cancelled. Yeah. yeah, but that's the point. She's in, she empowered herself with the knowledge when the publisher said, and of course they did. Hey, would you just sign this contract addendum giving us the rights? So you're, you just said there about the audio rights that people might be sitting on. Yeah. What are the other rights you're just sitting on of your written material? Because of course, all all com comedy writers have a lot of written material, right? Yeah. So what what can you what can you do with that stuff so yeah the, the overall message is just to be an empowered creative and if you're not feeling yeah. very empowered then empower yourself by uh, learning some of this stuff and uh, yeah, yeah just get out there and do it yeah mm -hmm. 
And one obvious way would be to seek out your podcast. And to, you've got 500 episodes to catch up on, folks. Um, so uh, go and do that. What's the name of the podcast is? Okay, so I have The Creative Pen Podcast, Pen with a double N. And uh, as I said, successful self-publishing, free ebook. Uh, if you want to go and if you want to learn about self-publishing. I also have the Books and Travel Podcast, if you enjoy books and travel. Fantastic. Great. Well, that's brilliant, and that's very, very empowering. I'm going to go away I'm very inspired now. Uh, I'm feel, feeling forty-two <laughs> yeah. percent more empowered than I was an hour ago. Um, and he was already pretty yeah. empowered, I can tell you that. <laughs> and uh, but I yeah. shall. I am still. Uh, and, uh, however, great the advances in AI, you did still manage to lose me, unfortunately, for about ten minutes in the middle of that podcast. But uh, not yeah. at all, David. We will. We will. We will patch you back in, right. and nobody will know. And nobody will okay. know. Well, as having said that, I think you said you'd edit this one so you're going to do okay. it as well as take out the bit that i've just said just now <laughs> uh okay well we might just have to keep that in for irony purposes <laughs> joanna thanks very much it's been a, a great pleasure having you on the show and uh all the best for the next 500 episodes thanks for having me guys thank you so thank much you.